0: Hello and welcome back to Tectonic, a podcast that looks at the way technology is changing our lives. I'm John Thornhill, Innovation Editor at the Financial Times in London. In our last episode, we talked to British physicist Paul Davis about the search for alien life. This week we hear from an Israeli tech entrepreneur and investor who sees business collaboration as a way to ease tensions in the Middle East when politicians fail.
1: I do think that innovation is an international language. I think it needs to be the diplomatic language of Israel with many of the countries, and I also think that when you help someone solve a problem or when you solve a problem together, you're a partner. And having small partnerships in the beginning create trust to do something larger, which I think our region needs and needs badly.
0: That was Errol Margalit, founder and chairman of Jerusalem Venture Partners. I spoke to him during a recent visit to London about what makes Israel excel as the startup nation and about his plans to help create a regional hub for tech investments. Tell us about Jerusalem Venture Partners. When did it start and what do you invest in?
1: So I started Jerusalem Venture Partners 23 years ago. We are now on our ninth fund. And over the years, we were very fortunate to be creating some of the most significant companies in Israel, We have the country's incubator in cybersecurity. We do uh, artificial intelligence. We do data analytics. We have a big office in Jerusalem, a big incubator in the old train station in the mint building that the British Mandate built in order to print money. And we're hoping to continue in the tradition You know, and I think that one of the advantages of Israel's technology is that because we have a small domestic market, we were able to create some very large companies internationally, working very closely with the US, with London here, and with Asia. And we're delighted to now embark on some of the new themes.
0: And how big are the funds that you manage overall and how many investments in total have you made?
1: We created a little over 120 companies. We had 12 major IPOs on NASDAQ and about 30 industry sales to large corporations. We start early and we go along on our winners and we try to be very significant shareholders in companies that become very large. That's everything that you need to know on one foot, as they say in the Kabbalah. And uh, you know, you're only as smart as your best entrepreneurs and if you can create some groundbreaking companies in a time where the world is changing like it is today, then you must be doing something right. What are the hottest sectors? So I think the way you need to look at it is horizontally. There's a few big technologies that are entering every field of business, like cybersecurity, like artificial intelligence, like big data and cloud, because everybody's putting their information there and in storage, like mobile and semiconductor and Internet of Things. These are just a few areas. but. You cannot look just at raw technology, you need to look at the vertical applications. So financial services where the banks and the insurance companies are changing completely their models, enterprises, large enterprises are changing the way they're managing, HR, the individual, the millennials are very different people and how you maintain employees, but how you make life interesting for them in the firm is something very interesting. Industrial logistics. Industry is changing. The way manufacturing is going to work is going to be completely different with 3D printing and some of the enabling technologies that Israel's been very good at being at the core of. Healthcare, you know, we had such a big revolution in communications. We have so much knowledge in healthcare, and so little of it is coming in real time to some of the diagnosis that happens in hospital or everywhere. And so there's a big fusion between IT and healthcare over the next few years, which I think is going to change the world and make all of us healthier. Can you uh, say more about
0: that? What, what kind of companies are you investing in in that area?
1: Well, it's really companies that are tapping into data in real times and allowing patterns of recognition of certain diagnostic processes to be available to doctors or to points of care. And it's really taking away from the big hospitals. A lot of regions in the world do not have large medical centers and you need community health care strategies in which you need to be a lot cheaper and a lot more connected to other places if you're going to be able to treat someone you know, in the community, which I think the world is going there. Automotive. We're not going to own cars in the same way that Ford envisioned with the Model T. We're going through a major revolution, and I think there's going to be a major joint venture between individuals, data and cities because you're going to travel very very comfortably without necessarily owning a car it's going to be like having a chauffeur throughout the day and traveling both in public transportation private cars and even walking and riding the bicycle all these things are going to be much more attuned to your way of life and even things like food and agriculture today we are having a fusion between the need to change the way we get our protein in the world. It's not gonna be sustainable to get it the way we are now, no matter if you're a vegan or a vegetarian. So people are making new ways to make meat and milk, but also drugs. Drugs are not gonna come from chemicals, they're gonna come from food and agricultural products. And so we're gonna be a lot healthier through using a lot less chemicals, eating different foods, And my three daughters are not going to have the same amount of sugar or starch that I'm having in processed foods. They tell me this, and I think the entire food industry would need to do as much research as some of the communication industries done in the 90s in order to come up with new and interesting products.
0: That's a lot of different sectors to get your heads around.
1: When entrepreneurs
0: from these companies come and pitch to you, what? they have to do to persuade you to invest is it a great business plan is it a fantastic idea is it the team of people how do they persuade you to give them money
1: i think there are outstanding people the younger generation is doing things that are mind-boggling and i think that because the entrepreneurial model has been proven in a variety of environments like israel and like london you see more and more people rather than going into the big corporation dare and start something And I think that a young person that's starting a company needs two things. One is someone to talk to, because often you have 20 ideas if you're very creative, and 19 of your ideas are the biggest enemies of your best idea. So if we have sort of a roundtable discussion in the Jewish tradition of studying and giving back ideas from one to another, you distill some of your best ideas with other people. So you're not alone. You need to be working in a group and you need to enjoy the group thought process between investors, co-founders, technical people, marketing people. And the other thing, you you need a little bit of money and you need a good strategy and you need to be international. That's why I think Israel has been thriving because we have a small market. So we took our disadvantage And if the Americans created the startup that is local, where you need to ride the bicycle to the startup, Israel's created the startup which is global. So we partner with people in London, with people in China, with people in the US, because sometimes the market is here and you need in your co-founding team, people that are just as close to the market as they are to the development of the product.
0: I was talking to one venture capital firm on Sandhill Road who were saying that they only ever invest in companies in which the partners disagree about whether they ought to invest. If they all agree, in their experience, it's normally a bad investment. Hmm.
1: Is that's, that true in your firm? That's funny. That's, you know, I think it's a good way of thinking about it because you need to stretch. You need to do something new. There's a lot of ways in which you can, quote unquote, kill a startup when it comes to the deal, because, you know, a small company going against the giants always has something, uh, you know, the David versus Goliath syndrome. But what we do is we try to be realistic on one hand, but we say we have the principle of grace on the other. So what do you mean by that? It means that uh, if it was going to succeed, tell us what needs to happen. Describe the world to us. Give us your vision paint it with colors, go all the way in your thinking so that you give us a vision of where you're trying to go. Now that at the end of the day may not be realistic, but at least it's clear. And I think that where a good investor and a coach and a friend could really help an entrepreneur, you know, and I was lucky enough to start a variety of companies myself as an entrepreneur. So I know how much you need the coaching is to be able to Discuss things out at the open and, and really imagine the what before you interrupt yourself with the how. So, know where you're going. That's, by the way, an advice for life in general. Try to imagine what it is that you want to achieve and why. Connect to the emotional thing that really moves you and then figure out the how, which could be complicated. But sometimes it's not as scary if you know where you're going. So a good
0: entrepreneur has to paint this vision.
1: Exactly. A good entrepreneur, whether they are social entrepreneurs or business entrepreneurs, and I think the world of entrepreneurship today is entering every walk of life, is to see reality in one way, imagine how it could be different, and think that they could influence it to change in their direction.
0: Now, people talk about Israel as the startup nation. What is it about Israel that gives it its secret source in the area of technology.
1: We are a society of immigrants. Immigrants are very inventive people because they don't have the comfort and the tradition to lay back against. And so they often invent themselves. They have not so much to lose. And we're also, you know, we're a people, the Jewish people, I think, have a tradition of learning throughout history and of science. And then when you couple that with technology that we needed, because our first Prime Minister, Ben-Gurion, said after the War of Independence that Israel was attacked by seven armies, we need to be as strong as the seven countries around us, and the only way to do it is through brains and technology. And so that was another aspect. And then somewhere in the 90s when we started, all of that got a fusion of venture capital money, which created a fire, in a good sense of the word, and things just began to emerge. And I think the world since has gone through changes, one category after another. Think of the telephone, where you said, Hello, Mom, can you hear me? And then you use data, and then you're using video, and all that required fiber optic technologies, wireless technologies. Israelis were very good at it, and so on and so forth. Now you have other categories you know we have a big retail technology play jvp play in israel with tesco and with barclays and with microsoft and with a variety of additional players and we're coming up with new strategies for someone to buy at home in a group setting with a family and you see that you really need to change everything that you thought about think about it in five years half of the brands that you're seeing today are going to disappear Another half. How do you know that? Well, I see the rate in which businesses are just not relevant in their offering today and how mavericks in some of the traditional businesses are partnering with technology gurus that are helping them create the new business model. In the banking system, everybody talks about bitcoins. I don't know if this or that bitcoin will be successful, but I do know that the blockchain technology which is distributed setting of value is going to change the hierarchical systems of banks in a big way, where small businesses are going to get just as much attention as some of the largest businesses, where you will have the individuals empowered. The same thing with insurance. You have very set insurance policies today. What if you want to set an insurance policy which is customized to you? A lot of the millennials, that's what they want to do. So You need to reverse and put the individual on top in the company to serve rather than the other way around. So there's just a big revolution. The pyramid is put on its head, and technology can stabilize the new paradigms of business.
0: Ready to pop the question? Now, one of the influences of technology is that it can help build bridges between people, as you're saying, connecting people globally. And you've talked about the startup region, that Israel can become a regional technological player as well, but you're in a very hostile neighborhood.
1: Well, let's start with domestic ideas, because it's easier to believe it because of what we've already done, and then go to the international level. You know, people were fighting between left and right about socialist ideas versus capitalist ideas. My generation came up with a very different strategy. Only one third of the country is successful in Israel in terms of startup nation and innovation economy, two thirds are left behind. So we came up with the idea of seven new regions of economic and social excellence. In Jerusalem, where this was a challenged city with security issues and issues of poverty, in Be'er Sheva in the south where we created the cyber security hub for the world with so many young dynamic entrepreneurs working there and creating a new economy and a new story, in the Galilee where you're creating food tech and agrotech together with the Arab communities, the kibbutzim, the moshevim, the cities into some new themes that will allow a lot of younger people to have the highest level of jobs and as a social democrat I'm saying High-paying jobs, I want high-paying jobs for the younger people in the remote parts of the country. The ultra-Orthodox community, which was so much out of the game, now women are coming into the high-tech sector in a huge way. Women are leading the way in our region, both inside Israel, with the ultra-Orthodox community, with the Arab community. Look at the Arab community in Israel. So many of the younger people who were feeling deprived are now part of the healthcare system in the hospitals. One half of the staff in Israeli hospitals are Arabs, which creates trust between Jews and Arabs. Now they're coming into the high-tech sector. We have an incubator called Taquin that we created together with Paris at the time, which is now selling to the Arab world application in healthcare, but in the Arab language that's developed by Palestinians and Israelis and by people in Amman or Dubai or Morocco or elsewhere. So. We created seven regions of excellence. We're still doing it. You know, it's not easy. You know, in Israel, if you create half a million jobs in technology, you change the fabric of the country and you allow other groups of society to be a part of it. So it's the economy of inclusion. Now, if innovation can change a city like Jerusalem, if innovation can change a country like Israel, maybe innovation can change the region. It's no longer Arabs against Jews in the Middle East. It's extremists against pragmatic countries that want to face them. So you have ISIS, you have Iran being very extreme with cybersecurity attacks on almost every country in the region. And on the other side, you have Israel standing together with Jordan, together with Egypt, together with Dubai and maybe UAE countries and Morocco and Tunisia. And what a lot of these countries, we don't have all the common denominators, but the Mediterranean region needs a strategy to defend itself security wise and it needs a strategy to feed itself because 70 million young people are going to need jobs and food and making a living and to be part of a region where you need water strategies that Israel's very good at agricultural strategies and food security strategies and then innovation around healthcare innovation around connectivity innovation in general and what we're saying is Entrepreneurs are making the bridges where politicians seem to stand still. So we need some new ideas. It's no longer the question of what Israel needs to give up, what the Palestinians need to give up. Israel and the Palestinians will need to solve the issue on a two-state solution, but together with a regional approach where you would have other countries involved in opening up the region in a more interesting way from an economic development standpoint.
0: Which of your neighbors gets this? Which countries are the most receptive to this?
1: Jordan. Jordan and the Palestinians in the Jordan Valley were actually creating a project to revive the Jordan River, which has been polluted in a big way, and to create the flow of tourism. The birds will come back in three economic zones, and we're doing it with all the mayors. Egypt is embarking on a major issue of water shortage and agricultural strategies which Israel is tapping into and now we're talking about technology there's a big hub in Cairo of young dynamic people that are talking to us Dubai a lot of my companies are selling there Saudi Arabia Saudi Arabia is creating the high-tech city right next to Aqaba and Eilat and think about the Red Sea where you have the Saudis the Jordanians the Israelis and the Egyptians in 15 kilometers sitting very close to each other, we can create a gateway of cooperation. Morocco is doing a strategy in technology and agriculture and is connecting. There's a lot of goodwill between Israel and Morocco because a lot of the immigrants to Israel came from Morocco. And so it's not alone that Israel and some of the Arab countries are doing it. We need what I would call the Mediterranean Basin strategy. We have it in the European Parliament. It's called the Yalla group, Yalla in Arabic means let's move, it means the same thing in Hebrew, and we say 10 cities, 10 ideas, 10 projects that will open up the way we work with each other in ways that are tangible, they may be small, but they're real, and what we're saying is we're creating trust where maybe the political strategies are not giving enough imagination. And in Israel, you know, we're at a crossroad politically, everybody sees that. Not easy times in the Knesset. I was there. I chose to come out because of different reasons. I felt that with the political language that exists today, maybe I'm better off creating some of the best strategies as an entrepreneur, both social and business entrepreneur. But look, the region in Israel needs new ideas, new energies, new projects and new paradigms, a new generation of leadership. And I think that generation is coming. I see the same thing in some of the other Arab countries. Nothing is easy because of some of the baggage that we all bring to the table. But we want to move forward. And when you work on a project together, you're empowered and you create trust. And trust is something that needs to come back to the region so that we can move things forward on a larger scale. Do you think in this area you can achieve
0: more as an entrepreneur and an investor and a technologist than you can as a politician?
1: Well, I think you can create the first bridges and bridges create trust. I do think that some of the solutions are political solutions and they need to follow. But isn't it much easier to talk about an agreement in Jerusalem where you have us working with Palestinian entrepreneurs, creating real trust and small business strategies on both sides and really coming up with ideas that could serve both people because The Israelis are not going anywhere, the Palestinians are not going anywhere, the Arab countries are not going anywhere, but the problems rise, and poverty is like a field of dry leaves for extremism. And so I think that economic development, I think that new ideas, I think that working together on some of these things together with the international community can create the kind of change that will make people believe in it, create the trust around the table, And I think that eventually there is a political strategy of win-win, of hope, which is so much more difficult to bring to the table than the politics of fear that could be having as much intensity and power as, you know, the fear that some people are trying to instill.
0: We talk a lot on Tectonic about the way that technology is disrupting politics in a bad sense, but you're really arguing that it can disrupt politics in a good sense. It can achieve things that politicians initially at least can't achieve. Is that
1: right? I think so, and I think that also the individual is empowered. I mean, think about people that were banned from watching TV in, I don't know, a place like Saudi Arabia, and are now watching three hours a day on YouTube. And so a lot of people are now getting the message directly and not filtered through different regimes. And so I think that it's harder to caricature the other party in a bad way where you can actually see what they're doing and you can hear what's going on. And yes... I do think that innovation is an international language. I think it needs to be the diplomatic language of Israel with many of the countries. And I also think that when you help someone solve a problem or when you solve a problem together, you're a partner. And having small partnerships in the beginning create trust to do something larger, which I think our region needs and needs badly.
0: One practical area that you've talked about in terms of building trust and cooperation between countries is creating a cybersecurity alliance, a NATO-style alliance. How are you developing that idea?
1: Well, when people think about cybersecurity, they often think in the same way they think about armies and defense organizations, and they need to realize that the most exposed part to cyber attacks is the civilian domain. So airports are exposed. Flights are exposed. Traffic is something that you could really cause damage to. Utility companies, energy companies. Look at some of the hackers that turned off the power in 200 homes before the invasion occurred in the Ukraine. Look at some of the hackers that were able to penetrate the civilian nuclear facilities around Europe and almost caused a major disaster. So what we're calling for is Israel has been leading cooperation between nations on the banking levels, the utility levels, energy, things that we can really share best practices. And we found ourselves in a situation, and you know, I'm just talking about things that were already publicized. I hope I'm not revealing state secrets. But you know, Iran is probably the most aggressive country in the region in terms of attacking, primarily countries like Saudi Arabia and Jordan and Israel and Turkey. And also ISIS that was trying to raid certain assets of different countries and create major damage, which is possible today through the computer. You don't have to bomb it. You can do it through the computer itself. So we actually got together in what's called a CERT, Cyber Emergency Center, which each country has, where we share best practices. And we were able to help, you know, when Aramco was attacked, the Saudi oil company in 2017 by Iran, there was a major effort to protect it because this could have been really bad.
0: And Israelis helped with that?
1: So it says internationally. And this was happening in a variety of places around the region. And just like we're working with England, you know, Matthew Gould was the ambassador to Israel, came back here with a cyber strategy that was really win-win for Israel and England to work together. And just like we're working with some of the other countries, we are also growingly working with other neighbors in the Middle East to protect against some of the terrorist attacks on airports to blow up airline jets and and so on and so forth. And, you know, this is soft, quiet diplomacy, which creates an alliance that you need if you're going to allow your civilians to lead a safe life.
0: But in this kind of area, there must be an extraordinarily high level of distrust, isn't there? Because cyber can be used offensively as well as defensively and the whole kind of Stuxnet phenomenon, whether you can comment on this or not, I don't know. But I mean, the Israelis are alleged to have attacked Iran with the Americans on their nuclear program. So cyber is an aggressive tool as well. So how can you persuade all of your neighbors that this is really
1: purely for peaceful purposes? When you have a problem that you're able to intercept, all of us have cyber attacks on our facilities these days. And so if you're sharing information and a bank is being hacked in one part of the world, and you're able to identify the worm, the DNA of the worm, or the Trojan horse that actually penetrated your system, and intercept it, even without knowing exactly which bank it was, we are advancing you so much further. And if you do the same for me, I'll do the same for you. Practice creates trust.
0: Finally, could we talk about the London tech scene in particular? You're here visiting companies and talking to entrepreneurs how do you think Europe and London stack up against the other tech centers of the world?
1: Well, I think that there's a lot going on. I think that if you talked 15 years ago, you wouldn't expect London or Europe to create some of the next unicorns in technology. But now it's a different situation.
0: Which are the companies that interest you here?
1: Well, there's major efforts here on artificial intelligence. There's eight of the top 20 universities around England. There's four of the best universities in computer science. There are amazing scientists. There's 500 Israeli startups in the city. There's a lot of people who are using England, which is more of an international place within Europe itself, to launch their product into Europe or to partner.
0: How much of an issue is Brexit?
1: Well, Brexit is one of these examples that I think Barbara Tuchman will give the British in terms of examples for the March of Folly next book. I don't understand that strategy that the UK took, but I don't pretend to be a big expert. But, you know, even Brexit creates an opportunity because now there needs to be new partnerships that are one-on-one. And Israel and England should partner because a variety of things that need to be done to launch some of the next big things... It's okay to launch them in England, but it's better if you work with Israel. And it's better if you think about the US or China as you're doing this, like the Israelis do, because we don't have a big country like England as a domestic market. And I think that I'd like to have financiers from England come to my companies because they can help. And I'd like to see some companies here because we can help. And especially if these are Israelis sitting in London and British sitting in Israel, a lot that we can do together and and I think that we should facilitate that for our companies and for the younger entrepreneurs great
0: thank you so much Harold.
1: thank you it's a pleasure
0: we'll be back next week with another episode of Tectonic in the meantime if you'd like to comment on today's show or suggest any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes then please email us at tectonic at ft.com don't forget to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast app and if you write a review that will help other people find us too. Thanks for listening. This episode of Tectonic was produced by Fiona Simon.